The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? Greetings from Knoxville. I am great today. It's another great week, and uh, I can't wait to get started. Yes, so what's the latest with uh, JPWA when you guys get in rolling? June 1st, right? JPWA starts back June 1st. We, we've we already had some uh, a lot of great uh, response and inquiries, and we are. I'm, I'm counting down the days, uh, waiting to get back, and it, it's going to be a different class this time. Obviously, we were taking all the precautions necessary, and uh, right off the bat, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of body contact, but I've got enough drills and got enough ideas that we're going to stay busy and uh, entrenched in professional wrestling and um it's going to be new and exciting i think now you say that not a lot of body contact and stuff obviously we see aw and wb wrestling how come you kind of want to steer maybe a little bit away from that um right now i i think we're just breaking into some uncharted waters and we're going to go ahead and do the bumps, do the rolls, do some non-contact drills. It'll still involve uh, basic training. In, in other words, the up and overs, man in the middle, and uh, a five-five-five drill, which includes hitting the ropes and, and then doing some drop-down leapfrogs and up and over in the corners. And uh, uh, we're, we're going to do some things that, that um, let, let me say, minimal body contact. Let me take that back. Well, I won't say no body contact. We're, we're just going to make sure that everyone is safe and uh, nobody has a cough, nobody has a fever, nobody has uh, anything they can transmit or transfer to anybody else, hopefully. That's that's the precautions we, we are planning to partake in. Isn't that crazy? If you really think yeah. about it, when you set on this journey oh. years and years ago, it's like, okay, we're going to do this, and we're not going to have contact, or we're not going to do this, we're going to take temperatures. Isn't that crazy to think about? No, I, I've got to tell you, this whole thing has been crazy to think about. Uh, thinking about, thinking about this, is, uh, this is what I've been thinking about, how how much it really has changed from uh, the days of when guys would actually bleed 
in the ring. And, and I remember seeing pictures of the old stampede ring with a big uh, uh, sweat mark or, or, or huge stains in the middle of the ring. And uh, they wrestled every week on that. And we, yes, there were guys who got sick. And yes, there was things that happened. And boy, they should, could have and should have taken more precautions back then even. But but even to the the place that we've got to today, it it is pretty much the twilight zone, and I'm, uh, uh, yeah, it it kind of it does strike me as as odd and crazy. But uh, we, th- these are the things that we have to do, and this is the place we find ourselves in in this world today. A lot of crazy things, and uh, even even watching and listening to some of the stuff. Gosh, just in the last couple weeks with I've read some negative comments so to speak about how uh, everybody should just embrace the way it is today and forget about the way it was to stop romanticizing the past and every time I read that I, I try to uh, see how they how someone sees that in their head in their mind and I get it because you can't choose when you're born you can't pick uh the era or the day that you're born. So you you only know what you know. Uh, but at the same time, I, I look back sometimes and realize uh, how fortunate I was to get to see a lot of the wrestling and a lot of the uh, action I saw uh, as compared to today. Not that today stinks on ice, but it's, it's, it's a lot different and has a lot different attitude. And I, and I remember the respect I had for the, uh, the people who came before me, the veterans of the day. And I think I've come to the conclusion. That's a lot of what's missing today too. It's just that, uh, the utter respect and lack of, uh, because everybody thinks that just because it's their day today, it's always better. And there's no reason to respect who came before you. At least that's the impression I've got. So, um, yeah, I think it's incredibly crazy. It's 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 unprecedented, and it's something new that we're all going to have to just deal with for a while. And uh, we're going to do everything we can to deal with it. Certainly, we don't want anyone getting sick or or worse. And it's the world we find ourselves in today. And I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm all about adjusting and making sure we uh, do what we have to do. Yeah, I think it was Brian Pillman Jr., of all people. I was shocked, something like, oh, uh, we're romanticizing the past too much. Um, with rose-colored glasses, I don't know, some weird comment. I was like, that doesn't really make sense. And he's talking about something of today. I'm like, I missed the wrestling of, 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 of yesteryear, well, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's just like, I was like, wow, that's kind of an odd thing of him to say. Yeah, but once again, and I love Brian. He he is a good kid. He means well. I don't, I don't think he was saying that um, maliciously, but I don't think he was saying it um, educationally either. I don't think he knows. Uh, well, obviously he doesn't know. And my point back to him wasn't about we should have matches uh, in the same vein that we did back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. But take some of those elements because those guys felt what they did when they walked to the ring. It's the same thing when you go to a, a, a concert. You can tell um, the mu- musicians and, and performers 
when they're on stage, if they're feeling it, or if they're just playing the song, going through the motions. Um, you know, you have the old-time concerts, CCR versus Led mm-hmm. Zeppelin versus Van Halen versus Aerosmith versus Kiss. Well, yeah, there's progress, and yeah, there's evolution. Um, it's a matter of taste, and not everybody liked uh, hardcore wrestling when it was hardcore wrestling, but uh, you had different varieties and different flavors. But the, the, the common theme and the common core was the guys would go out and feel it and put forth an effort and, and not just go out and do hokey stuff and, and everybody's in on the joke and everybody knows what's going on. They, they, they didn't break character. It was like a magician not showing you how the trick was done. And that, mm-hmm. that, that was my, my point I was trying to make. It's a point I always try to make. I'm not saying we need to go back to let's grab a hold for an hour, um, but let's go out with the, uh, the feeling and the, the, the circumstance that, that, this is not for everybody, and not everyone should be able to do it. That was the other key thing. I think this was much better when it was a little closely guarded, a little more closely guarded, and it, and this has been exposed for, for years. It's nothing new, but it's just a premise that you you take with you when you go to the ring, or you take with you when you come to the arena. And and now that we find ourselves in this situation where uh, <laughs> everywhere we go. Uh, gosh, I see people wearing masks and 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 the the six feet apart, and you can't go this way down this aisle. You got to go this way down the <laughs> other aisle. Oh my God, yep. man! Yeah, it's it's just it's it's uncharted waters. It's just a new place, especially not just for the United States, but for the world. So everybody's having to follow these crazy guidelines, and it's just a, it's a it's a crazy time to be alive. We're living through history, but uh, we got to do it. Now, today we wanted to go completely random on this one, and I love this NWA Hollywood. We're going back to 1980, 1981. This promotion, NWA Hollywood, really dates back to the 1950s. It's been called NAWA, WWA. The owners that we're going to really focus in on, really, Mike LaBelle and Judo Gene LaBelle, and obviously you were there starting in 1980. How did you get hooked up with Judo Gene LaBelle, and how did you get into NWA Hollywood? Who called you? Who brought you in? I, uh, I again, I was working in Houston for Paul Bosch. Uh, I had my first match in October twentieth, nineteen seventy nine, and um, was just working around uh, uh, basically Louisiana, Texas, uh, yeah, some Texas, uh, but Arkansas, Oklahoma, and um, just getting shots here and there. And then Paul Bosch got me booked in Portland after January uh, to just go up and work for Don Owen. And I think the the night or the week before I was supposed to leave, I think it was probably the week before or whatever. I I don't remember now. I I just remember Gary Hart coming to me and saying, "Um, you are going to California next week. I said, well, I'm supposed to start with Don Owen in Portland next week. He said, well, you go to California first for three weeks and then you go to Portland. I said, okay. So I just figured at that time, I, I honest to God, uh, looking back on all the, all the things I've done, I, I, I continuously ask myself why, but there's no answer. So uh, I just, I just repeat the facts. Now uh, I didn't say anything to Paul figuring Gary was going to take care of it. 
So I drove, or I flew, actually. Mark Lewin made my arrangements on PSA Airlines to fly to Fresno, California for my first shot. Um, and that's how I got hooked up there. And I was there maybe three weeks, and Chavo Guerrero was a booker. And I asked Chavo if uh, I was supposed to when I asked him when I was finishing up. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm supposed to go to Portland. He goes, no, 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 you're staying here. I said, okay. Just figuring he was going to call Don Owens. And I think I even asked him come come to my recollection because we were talking about it in the Olympic uh, dressing room. And he said, no, I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll call Don and let him know you're not coming. Well, they never did. But um, the thing of it was, again, uh, I was 20 years old. It, it certainly was a different time, a different business. And uh, it was the Olympic Auditorium. It was Los Angeles, California. It was right next to Hollywood. And it was uh, everything the business was back then, I guess, and then some. What I mean by that is you, you had uh, Hollywood right next door. You had Judo, Gene LaBelle, Mike LaBelle, uh, Jimmy Lennon. And in the 70s, the Olympic Auditorium was known as the uh, the Madison Square Garden of the West Coast. But it was it was drawing horribly by that time. It wasn't business was down, but they still had a deal with Japan. I got a one year after uh, I got a, a six week tour uh, with new, uh, yeah New Japan. I had a match with Fujinami in in the Olympic Auditorium, and uh, my gosh, that's that was what I wanted to do. And I was, uh, I was having a great time. So, um, that was, that was how that came about. Gary Hart just told me I was going to go and work for Michael Bell. And, and look, while it, while the business was down, I don't think anybody at that time, especially when you're starting out, uh, was getting into wrestling because of the money. I, I knew anyway. You you had to pay your dues, and I was ready and ready and able to go and pay my dues in Los Angeles or wherever it might have been. So I was I was happy where I was at at the time. What did you think of Judo Gene LaBelle, the legend, catch wrestling legend, Judo, Jiu-Jitsu, boxing? I mean, guy did it all. Really, kind of the grappling legend. But what did you think about him? Nice guy, uh, interesting guy, and all of those guys. I met I met uh, Dr. Jerry Graham my first night in the Olympic Auditorium actually, but but Judo Gene um, was that was that classic old school gimmick wrestler, and um, most of the old school guys back then were gimmicks, and uh, what I mean by that is when they talk to you, uh, they they weren't sure which which um side of the fence they were on uh, as far as were they were they in the in their gimmick uh, persona or were they being somebody else and and that was again that was the uh, the cool part about it to me because it was wrestling and uh that was the element of is judo gene crazy well possibilities here. He's a pretty dangerous guy if you, if you come right down to it. I had heard stories about it, about him, and I heard stories um, later on 
uh, that, that he he might have been involved in some nefarious uh, uh, episodes of whatever went on down in Hollywood. I don't know, but uh, he was he was always good to me, and he was a classic, like I said, classic gimmick uh, wrestler, and I. I, I love that man. That was just that was that was uh, part of what I wanted to be around, and and I was not disappointed. Any sort of relationship with him? No, not really. Uh, just casual conversation, casual talking. That that was it. You know, the 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 real relationships I think I had were uh, with the Guerreros, and that would be Chavo and Mondo at that time. But uh, no, not necessarily with Judo Gene and Mike. Uh, his brother Mike sat in the office and was the promoter. It was on the promoter end of things, and he was. Uh, <laughs> I guess I would have to classify him as a classic uh, wrestling promoter back then, as opposed to you know. I, I don't think I think Paul Bosch, who I grew up around and, and working for, was classic in the sense of. Uh, having these great stories and, and, and uh, cauliflower years and, and, and old school beliefs and things like that. Whereas Mike LaBelle was more of a slick, um, love you, baby, <laughs> don't ever change type guy. You know, like just a slick BS artist that... Uh, Paul Heyman type. Uh, yeah, yeah, certainly. There you go. Yeah, Paul Heyman type kind of guy. Like, hey, I love you. You're doing great. Oh, man, I've never heard anyone do a, a pro- He told me one time I, I cut a promo, and he, he came up to me after. So I've never heard anyone cut a promo so good. That was so good. And and the bullshit was just oozing out of him. And <laughs> and I thought, oh, my goodness, why? What's the, what's the purpose here? But, I mean, it was maybe his, for, for his enjoyment or his entertainment or maybe for the boys. I don't know, man, but – but that that was how that was. I love it. And obviously, Gene, you're saying it's like kind of the opposite tough guy would kick your ass, you know, in your face, yeah. honest kind of guy. Yeah. He, well, well, honest. Well, who knows about honest? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Come on. No, no. Depending on the definition. No, no, no. Yeah, I think more of a straightforward guy with you and more, more of a guy who, who you could talk I, I think about wrestling, and if if so, but I mean, yeah, a little more, yeah, a little more sincere, maybe, and and even then, that might be stretching it. But, 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 and you also had a guy like Red Shoes Dugan, who was the referee, who also, um, for me as a young guy, he calmed me down in the ring a few times, and was just a, a really nice man. So, uh, there there were some characters there, and and they fit. In in that uh, place they were at, Jimmy Lennon is the announcer. He was my goodness, what a nice man he was too. He was classic, and um, it was just it, it was a it was surreal um, for for me. Uh, and again, you had guys like I worked with John Tolos, and, and uh, I, I saw Tolos as a kid in Texas, and. Remember him being a big star. So now I'm getting my feet wet and and uh, feeling what it's like, you know, to uh, not only wrestle in the famed Olympic Auditorium, but all these other famous places like Bakersfield and San Bernardino and uh, wherever else we worked. It was it was a a lot of it was fun, you know. But 
But I was also teamed with Al Madrill, who I also kind of grew up watching in Texas. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and he was an insufferable bastard. He he <laughs> was, my God, everything was miserable. And he was just not an encouraging soul at all. But but I had fun with Al because uh, I laughed at it and I thought it was funny. But then I could not realize, I just could not understand why he was so... Uh, unhappy, and then, then later on, I figured it out. But uh, he just, he just had a lot of things that that um, he made a lot of mistakes in his career too. And now he doesn't even uh, claim to have wrestled. He doesn't even um, acknowledge it. You know, I heard that years ago. He doesn't. Uh, Lynn Denton tried to call him. The grappler tried to call him years ago, and uh, <laughs> when he. He got his number from a friend of mine, and uh, when Lynn called Al, he said, hey, is this Al Madrill? So, no, Al Madrill is dead. Hung up the phone on him. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow was right. So Hates the business, I guess. Yeah, he hated the business. He wasn't, you know, that was, uh, he, he finished up in Oregon, I guess, but, but he was not, uh, yeah, he wasn't a real happy guy by the end. Anything you can get into, or, or that's personal stuff. Well, no, I, I just think, yeah, a lot of it's personal stuff. But I, I just think that uh, sometimes, you know, they made him the world junior heavyweight champion, the NWA junior heavyweight champion in Texas, and then he caught hepatitis. And we talked about it one night coming home from a town, and he said, "Yeah, I beat uh, Nelson Royal. We beat him in Houston." And he said, but that was that was all they were going to do with me after that. That, that, that was as that was as high as I was going to go. And then I got sick, and and they never did anything with me after that. And then I had to come home. So I, I don't know if that really kind of soured him on things or not. But um, I just know that that he could make life miserable if if you let him. But I didn't let him all the time. Now, as far as you, you kind of make your debut January of 1980 against a WWF big-time guy, Victor Rivera, in San Bernardino, California. You win by DQ, your first match in. Do you remember this debut? Do you remember working Victor Rivera? Well, I think I actually made my my debut in Fresno because I flew to Fresno. Yeah, yeah, I flew to Fresno. And the reason I know that is this. Um, It was... Let me get this straight. Um, the bat I had the we did the battle royal in Houston, and uh, that was that was when Paul had Andre in and uh, had, called me over. He, he used to talk to the guys over. He had his Paul had his stuff set up right by the showers in Houston and. He called me up by the hallway with Andre, and he says, uh, here's what I want you to do during the Battle Royal. Everybody's going to try and uh, – he's talking to Andre and me, and he says, the guys are going to come to get you, Andre, and then I want Tom, you go out and climb up on uh, Andre's shoulders. And uh, he tells Andre, he says, once he gets there, you know, you try to shake him, and you go, oh, here's my friend. And then as – uh, you get over by the by the rope. That's when Tom, you take the tumble out. And then I was supposed to work with Patera that night or something. That you know, and it was it was figured out by the Battle Royal. Uh, 
uh, eliminations, and, and somehow that got messed up, and I had to work. I don't remember who else I worked with that night. It might have been Patera, but um, anyway, the next day, I flew to Fresno, and it was Saturday night, and Andre was on a different flight, I guess, because I didn't see him on my flight, but I saw him at the airport. And now, we just did this deal Friday night, but, but in my head, I'm smart enough to know Andre doesn't know who the hell I am, and he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, but he's on the phone like he's going to call for a car, and for a split second, I thought to myself, uh, let me go tell Andre, and I, and I started to walk that way, but he was walking away. And then I said, nah, I'm not gonna, just not going to do that. I'll find my way to the, to the building, and I got a cab and went to the building. And that's where I first met Roddy Piper um, in Fresno at the Wilson Arena. So that was my my debut. And I, uh, gosh, again, it might have been Rivera then too, but I, I don't I don't really recall. Uh, I, but it, here's how I know: um, I showed up there, no car, and nothing. But I met Chief uh, Frankie Hill that night. Chief Strongbow. He was, he was Chief Running Hill that night, and the twin devils had a van and I guess he'd recently been there too or whatever. And I was asking if anybody knew if I could get a ride and chief said, yeah, let me ask the devils. We'll right. We'll jump in with them. And I did. And they were very kind. And we, uh, they dropped us off in downtown Los Angeles, California at the Milner hotel on eighth and flower. I'll never forget the address. Uh, one of the guys who worked the front desk jumped off the eighth floor and tried to commit suicide. And he laid there. There was a restaurant connected to the hotel, and he laid there moaning for like uh, five hours before anybody actually found him. Uh, so it was it was <laughs> nice memories there. But it was um, – Again, it was an experience, but but my first night in was uh, Fresno, and I do remember meeting Piper. Uh, he came in ranting and raving because somebody had left him in a town the night before and didn't give him his money, and he was hot about that. But um, overall, uh, I do remember working with Victor Rivera, and here's what I remember about working with Victor. Um, he took me down, and... <laughs> He he wrapped me up, you know, where uh, you're on your knees, and, and he he told me, he says, all right, come to your knees and crawl. So I started crawling, and, I, and back then, not a whole lot of people were wearing knee pads. So I, I had Matt Burns on my knees for the first two weeks I was there, and... Uh, you know, I, I remember that, and again, it was just one of one of those things that uh, getting used to being on the mat, getting used to getting used to the business, I guess, was was my induction. But my first, the other first I remember was meeting Dr. Jerry Graham as I I went down to the uh, Olympic for the first time. Vince McMahon's favorite wrestler. Yes, yes, and he was drunk as a skunk. But he uh, was very, very nice, and he was another gimmick guy. That that these were the these were the guys that you could you can meet as a fan if if you if you bought a ticket and you saw Jerry Jerry Graham, okay, you expected it. Uh, in the in the locker room, um, 
I was just learning that these guys are real, authentic characters. They're not playing a part. This is who they are. And uh, I I was drawn to that, and I, 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 I'm still drawn to that. It, it, it just... Uh, it was amazing because you know some people I'm I'm learning man as a, even as I as I get on in life that that some people think they want to do this think they want to get in the wrestling business until they find out that it's it's really not uh, unicorns and, and ice cream it's there, there's a lot to it and there's a lot that makes it tick and there's a lot that made it tick. And guys like Dr. Jerry Graham and guys like uh, uh, Mark Lewin, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Johnny Valentine, Wahoo McDaniel, and and some of the guys who had uh, some authenticity running in their blood. And what I mean is they were tough guys. They were legitimate tough guys. And they knew how to work. They thought shoot when they went out there. Yes, they worked, but they worked a violent style. They worked a unique. Well, it wasn't unique. It was it was um, intense. And even in the dressing room, there was this uh, electricity, and there was this attitude and this um, knowledge between everybody that Killer Carl Cox will mess with you and play with you and he'll take it as far as you'll let him take it. And, and sometimes you had to uh, make a stand. Terry Funk would pull a rib all night long. Terry Funk just had fun doing whatever he wanted to do in the dressing room. If there was a young guy in there and he just wanted to play games with him, he would. would and and he, I, because he's done it to me, I've, I've left going, what? Jesus Christ, Terry's out of his mind. Well, <laughs> sure he is. Sure, he's out of his mind, but he's he's loving every minute of it, and that's you know that's how I learned too that it's okay to to go ahead and and you can be whatever you want to be, but you have to be it, you have to believe it, and you and and make others believe it. So um, if you can make the boys believe it, all that much so, but some people find out. When they when they get in it, they think, oh, it's all it's all fake and it's all at work, and these guys are all just playing. Hmm. And then they find out some guys aren't playing, or they're not sure if they're playing or not, or the guy never lets them in on what's really going on, and they want to see if they can figure it out. And and uh, that was that was a, a lot of a lot of the guys in L.A. were like that, and. It had a lot to do with the time frame of 1980, and I think it had a lot to do with the environment in L.A. at that time. You mentioned a lot of great old-school names there and awesome guys. Now, this is a name I never thought you'd wrestle, and I, for some reason I was like, there's, there's no way this would happen. But every week it happens where, you know, Eddie Marlin was one week. I was like, what the hell? There's no way. And he wrestled Eddie Marlin. But Pampiro Furpo. I didn't know yeah. you would have crossed paths and wrestled him, but you did back in 1980. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what a nice man he was, too. And that was another one. That was that was like the Sheik, the the, the original Sheik, Farhat. Uh, because Furpo had this, oh, yeah, crazy thing. And that's where Savage got his, oh, yeah, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, influences like that that people don't know about that should know about because you can get so much out of it. And Furpo, 
God, when I first met him, and, and he was a very nice man, and uh, God, not what I expected, and it, it just just a one of those guys that looks like he could be dangerous in the ring when, in fact, he was overly safe. He didn't want me to drop kick one night. He, he had something going on. Uh, he had surgery, going to have surgery or something like that, and he said, don't throw no drop kicks tonight. And, again, I threw a drop kick and got him hot. But but it was in the heat of the moment. I'm, I'm like, That's why I say I can't watch any of my matches from, from 10 years, 5, 10 years in because it just – so bad. So last six months I can watch, but uh, you know it was it it, it was guys like Furpo, it was guys like uh, Tolis, um, and even Freddie Blassie. When I first got there, uh, somebody had told him that that I broke him with Paul Bosch, and he was he was God. Freddie was such a nice man too, and you know that was that was. Um, it was such a great time. It really, really was. And Furpo was a great man. He was a good man. Uh, I enjoyed the hell out of working with him. He's just one of those guys where I was like, nah, maybe different generation or had passed. I didn't realize that he would have worked him. Oh, he was would have been, been older. You know, he you know. was older, and it was yep. a different generation. I mean, there were a lot of old guys there. Tolis had already kind of mm-hmm. okay, yep, on. Yep. Yeah, and so and Blassie, Blassie, you know, was – I remember when Blassie came back to work Tolis that year, and John was so nervous because Freddie had bad knees, and Freddie was older, and, and John wanted to make sure that he didn't – that. that Freddie didn't get hurt, and John didn't want to get hurt, and he was nervous because the match was on him. It was on his shoulders. So um, I remember that vividly. I sure do. Professor Ito, I mean, there's a lot of, like, older kind of generation guys in Hollywood. I guess they like that area probably. Well, again, it it wasn't (laughs) – business wasn't exactly booming. (laughs) And uh, Mm, uh, so they they were – I think Mike was taking what he could get, and yeah, some of the guys were doing stunts. Uh, Toro Tanaka was there at the time too, and uh, he 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 was another nice guy that that surprised me. And um, uh, goodness gracious, he he could have beat the hell out of me. I, I don't think I worked with him, but uh, I talked to him a few times. I remember that, and he was he was a very nice man. And a lot of these guys that that had seen their better days and were living in LA at that time or around Hollywood were, were great people. I mean, just nice people. And regardless of what they may or may not have done, uh, throughout their career, uh, in the end of it at that time, the majority of them wanted to help. I think and wanted to help, uh, the younger guys coming up, not all of them, but, but the majority of them did. So how was, like, the road trips and stuff like that there? Because I know we talked about Mid-South on week, and, you know, they were fun, but they were long. But how, how were the road trips here in California? Not bad. San Bernardino was maybe an hour away. The, the only – the longest trip we had was Fresno and uh, San Jose sometimes. And, and we really pretty much stayed down the southern part. Uh, or Yeah, I guess the southern part, L.A. We never um, – weren't weren't wrestling five nights a week then it was maybe three four but uh yeah the the trips were not bad at all uh and it was a it was a 
pretty good crew. I, I worked a lot with John Mantell. Johnny was the hood. And we, what a great worker he was back then, too. Um, Ken Wayne had come in. And, gosh, I worked with Chick Donovan there. Uh, that's when Tom Renesta came to book. It was it was insane. And we talked about this before. You know, I had my – I had a – empty arena match back then mm-hmm. too with Tom Renesto. So, you know, there, there were a lot of really interesting things that, that were presented, uh, when you went there, um, they, they had the big clock on the wall and it would tick down to exactly <laughs> the time you needed for TV. And, and they didn't care. They really didn't even care. So, um, it was, it, the trips weren't bad. The guys weren't bad. It was Southern California, you know, uh, sun, fun, surf, turf, uh, anything you wanted all the time. And that, that was, um, that was a lot of fun. It really was. Did you have a riding partner? Somebody you drove with a lot? Rode with Al a lot and, and, uh, chief a lot. Uh, Chief Running Hill, uh, Frankie Hill, went um, went on his Jewel Strongbow later on. Mickey Doyle, let me say this, man. Mickey Doyle was in L.A. He was a great guy. He 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 took me uh, around to places, too, um, and we hung out together. Uh, we went to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I, this was my first time to see it, and we had a blast, uh, and Mickey was – was an easygoing guy and, and riding with him was, was a lot of fun. So you had guys like that. Mickey had been around for a while. Mickey was, uh, I think partners with Chris Colt at one time as, um, hippie Mickey Doyle and Chris was something else. And he just, he was one of those old timers who was laid back, easygoing, and worked at the post office, uh, in, in part-time did, by that time, 1980, he was he was wrestling part time, but but uh, pretty much you'd see him at the uh, Olympic and sometimes San Bernardino. But I got to I got to know him and hang out with him a few t- for a while. He he uh, he's he's still a friend today. What were the payoffs like? You said it was kind of like a, maybe a downtime for them, or wasn't that great? Were the payoffs okay back then? No, <laughs> they weren't. No, but but again, uh, I looked at this as boot camp and and getting reps in and paying dues. Um, but I was living after I, I moved out of the Milner Hotel in in L.A. I moved into a duplex that Bob uh, Bachwinkle, next brother, had behind his house. So I was living cheap um, and not spending a whole lot of money either. So. Uh, for me, again, single guy, 20 years old, I don't need much. And I, I didn't have much. And I, I was looking at getting the experience and, and, um, soaking it all in. And that, that model doesn't exist today, unfortunately, for guys to go and pay some dues and, and learn how to survive like you have to do. And, and it's, it's, it was a great learning process in that regard. <laughs> Uh, I, I would have, looking back on things, I, I wished I would have gone to Oregon sooner just because they did have five days a week. And they had uh, a different crew of talent. But I don't regret 
uh, being able to experience what I experienced in L.A. with with the Olympic and uh, and the and the labels because um, it, it it just I I couldn't have got it anywhere else and uh, I eventually got to go to Portland anyway so things worked out the way they should. Now this is a very interesting gimmick match, the coal miners club. I never understood it. I never got it. Obviously that area of the country would that would make sense. The what? Coal miners and, you never and, understood. What do you mean? It's it's everywhere. Like, it was it was oh my god. I, I mean, just don't get how that's like a great match. You know, like if you well, if you go back to Halloween Havoc in ninety two, <laughs> Jake the Snake versus Sting, Coal Miners Club, you're like, Yeah, what? that's the gimmick? Like what? I don't right. think the coal miners club. Well, you know, it, it, uh, the famous Cole Munners glove match between Buddy Rogers and, uh, Bruno San Martino, the headline, the garden for many, many years. And, uh, of course, Pedro Morales was the, uh, Cole Munners champion for many, many years in New York. No, hell, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. You, you take a glove, you, you wrap it with, uh, whatever you wrap, put a piece of tape over, whatever it is, you put it on the pole and you're supposed to climb it and it's called a coal Miners glove. What? You know, I, yeah, I didn't, uh, I wasn't sure how that came about either, but it sounds like a Lonnie Main or a gimmick or something. And the only places that I, at that time, that I knew of had coal mines was in West Virginia. And to bring it to California, I have no idea. It was just something that, and, and, uh, you know, when I got there, they 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 did a deal where I was undefeated. Well, hell yeah, I was undefeated because I hadn't had any matches, you know? <laughs> Yeah, nobody's beat me yet. Right, I haven't had any matches. So, uh, yeah, I think it was just, it was a gimmick that somebody came up with. I don't know who, I don't know when. I just know they told me you're in this Coal Miners Glove match, and then you're going to be the champion of the Coal Miners Glove match. And it's like, what? It's kind of like when they told me, Mike told me, I'm going to call you Cowboy Tom. And I, I didn't have the guts to, or didn't know how to say I'm not a cowboy uh, hmm. and I don't want to be a cowboy, but, um, but I didn't, I just, he, I bought a hat at an airport in Fresno because we, we were working Fresno and, um, or maybe wherever we flew into one time and I, and the hat was in Fresno. I bought it and Oh God, I'm not a cowboy. It's terrible. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that part was terrible. Now, you mentioned this before, kind of briefly, a junior championship, a WWF junior heavyweight title. You wrestled the Olympic Auditorium against Tatsumi Fujinami, who's a huge, huge wrestling legend, former NWA slash WWE world champion, IWGP world champion out of uh, New Japan. I mean, huge legend. What do you think about working with Fujinami at this point in your, both of your careers? Oh, that was great. That, that To me, that was very, very cool. Um to to even yeah to even get the chance to to wrestle for for the uh, WWF World Championship at that time because the the thing that was hinging on it and riding on it was going to Japan and they had the cameras they brought their cameras for that match um, to the Olympic and they went down and, and had people they obviously gave tickets away that night because they had a, a better house than usual for the Japanese television and somebody set that up either way because they they were not coming to see me win the junior heavyweight championship I'll tell you that right now but I knew they got people from somewhere to come sit in the seats and 
but it was a great match. It was a great match for that time in my career because Fujinami was very cool. Uh, we got it, and I didn't miss any spots with him. He he was he was great to work with. He he was that's why he was a champion because he could make anybody look good. So uh, I enjoyed it. I it was it was fantastic, and that match was what uh, got me a tour to Japan and. Um, man, that's one thing I wanted to do in the business was travel, go to Japan, go to Australia, go to uh, all these foreign places. I wanted to experience it. I wanted to see what it was like. I just knew there was something exotic and different and uh, intriguing out there. And and all these foreign lands intrigue me. They still do. It's 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 interesting to me. And and that was a huge draw and a huge thing to uh, um get to be able to do wrestle the junior heavyweight champion and then go to, go to uh, Japan that next year, I guess. Yeah. In January, I think I did. So that's pretty cool, but also five time NWA America's tag team champion, a few times with Apollo Jalisco, a few times, like we talked about with Al Madrill and then one time with Chris Adams, which is an awesome kind of, I didn't think about you ever teaming with him. So that is kind of a, a good tag team partner for you to have as well. Well, yeah, Chris was young when he came over. That was his first territory, I think, in the States. And he had Jeannie with him, his wife uh, mm-hmm. at the time, a girlfriend, whichever she was. She was very nice. Um, and uh, Chris looked like Paul McCartney. He was uh, that guy, uh, you know, had the English accent and um, was, I, I got, I got along really good with Chris. Uh, and he, he, uh, he was talented, very talented and he knew it. And, um, I don't know how long we were together before I left first, I think. And then he left and went to uh, Oregon, but we, we went out a couple times and, uh, you know, again, in, in Hollywood, you could do anything and uh, get away with it back then, I guess. And we did. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I keep saying that. That's the theme tonight. It's a lot of fun. And it was. And um, Chris was an interesting guy even back then. He judo champion. Uh, I thought he could work tremendous. And, you know, he, he uh, I think he was uh, looking for fame and fortune and eventually found it in Dallas. So he took the he took the route he took and uh, wound up there. So, but when I was with him, he was really a good guy. He 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 really was. You think underrated in, in like the grand scheme of things? Mm-hmm. Maybe in the grand scheme of things, uh, yeah. But but there's there's other elements I think that. Um, because I, I he he got a great he got a great opportunity in Texas and he and he he went with it so I mean uh, I don't think he was that underrated you know they they had he and Gino 
had a had a pretty good stronghold in there for a while. So mm-hmm. yep. So I don't know if he was that underrated. In in the grand scheme of things, in in, in the end of everything. Um, you know, when he was running the wrestling school and he was doing whatever he was doing, I don't know. Um, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> it really does. It happens. It happens to some people more than it happens to others. Where you just kind of uh, don't have the same magic that you that you once had. But but at one time, man, he 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 did. He had some some pretty good magic going working for him. Another guy who, like, I just randomly saw that you worked a bunch of times, and I was like, what the hell? He worked Ox Baker. I was like, wow. Oh, that's yes. interesting as all hell. That's awesome. Ox oh, Baker. my God. Awesome. Ox was another awesome guy. Ox used to paint his toenails red and sing opera in the shower. That, that's what I'm saying. And there, there were these great characters who you, you, you're enjoying yourself in the ring, out of the ring, during the day, at the in the night, Ox was was so. Uh, I don't think he could hurt a fly, and I don't think he wanted to hurt a fly. And he looked so mean and intimidating, and he'd say something funny and stupid to you in the ring. I remember that that well, because he was a lot of. Again, a lot of fun to work with because he knew he looked the way he looked, and and he'd take off his boots and socks, and there he would be, uh, his toes <laughs> painted red, and then he'd start singing opera, and he'd look at you, and then he'd just smile, and that big those big blue eyes, and oh my God, yeah, I worked with Ox a few times, and I I, I loved I traveled with Ox a few times during that time too. And uh, nice, God, a lot of those guys were nice men. Unlike today, they're not very nice men today. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but but no, Ox. Uh, a lot of those old, the older guys especially were. They had a different code, I guess. They they just did. They they were a lot more decent than than the younger generation coming after them. I guess uh, not all of them, but but some were. And Ox was a decent guy. I love like looking for like random guys to see wrestles. Like, wow, he wrestled Mike Masters a lot, uh, aka Rocky Jones. Like, wow, that's pretty cool. I, now, like, how, I, I like that. Yeah, how did you know Mike Masters? Because Mike lived in me for a little bit. So um, we interviewed him for our two man power trip show. Oh, um, got very friendly with him. But I just remember him because if you if you look back at like old WWF shows, he literally wrestled everybody. I mean, he was kind of a, an, an enhancement guy, so to speak. But it's like he's wrestling Hogan when Hogan was nobody. You know, he's like wrestling Nikolai Volkov. He wrestled right. you know the who's who of the WWF. Well, yeah, that's because it could work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they wanted to work with somebody that could work. But yeah, Mike was Mike was there. Mike was cool. Uh, yeah, and I think he moved on and did some TV work too, like production yes. and stuff. Yeah, good for him. So yeah, Mike lived with me for a little bit in my in, in the condo we had in uh, Van Nuys. Sure did. Good roommate. Um, yeah, good roommate. Nice guy. Nice guy. Uh, you know, so I worked for Sal Palomo, too, a couple times, um, which was interesting because Sal was Sal, you know, the Italian. And, yeah. uh, yes, yes, very Italian. I'll let you know he's Italian. And I don't know if I told you, but he's Italian. You know? <laughs> right. So. Now, here is, here's a great one that you worked that that I was shocked because I just didn't remember you guys crossed the path, maybe Japan or something, but Dynamite Kid. What did you think about no, working with Dynamite? Never did. That, 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 that's, really? That, uh, this yeah. is incorrect. 
Incorrect. Uh, Dynamite wow. was yeah. Dynamite was supposed to stop uh, through L.A. on his way back uh, from Japan, and I was looking forward to that. He never stopped in. I never crossed paths with Dynamite. Never met him. Never talked to him. Um, well, this so, site is wrong. They said uh, uh-huh. April twenty fourth, nineteen eighty one. Tom Pritchard fights Dynamite Kid to a draw at the Olympic Auditorium. Wow, this is bullshit. <laughs> Wow. Draw. <laughs> wow, never did. No, 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 never did. We we were supposed to, and I was looking forward to it because I'd heard a lot of stuff about Dynamite even back then. And then uh, I learned he was in Oregon when I was supposed to be in Oregon, which which I, I regret not being able to because uh, um, for all, you know, for guys like that, like Dynamite, who gets a bad rap for being Dynamite, and, and yeah, I don't, certainly don't condone his actions outside or being a bully or just being an asshole. Mm-hmm. But for guys like that, when they get in the ring, um, and, and I'm trying to figure out another guy to compare him to. The only one I can is Buzz Sawyer. And I had good matches with Buzz Sawyer too. And the reason I say that is because I felt when we were in there, he was, he was working with me, but he was solid and it was, it was physical. And that's the same way dynamite would be. He would be physical, but he, but if, if, if he felt like you were having a good match, uh, he would make sure and, and give you the other half of the match. He wouldn't just shit on the match if he respected you. And I think the way you earn those guys respect was going out there and show them that you're willing to, uh, to not only take it but give it, and and uh, no, I I I, I wish we I would have had the opportunity to be in the ring with him because that would have been uh, that would have been great on on my part for for me. Damn it! I was excited for you that you wrestled Dynamite Kid, you know, one of the all time greats, and this thing. Yeah. Is wrong. Damn it! Website's wrong. <laughs> don't don't believe everything on the internet. Yes, that's yeah. true. Very true. Also, according to this, your last match in the territory was possibly, you tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, the great high chief, Peter Maivia. Wrong. No. Oh, okay. I did not. not. uh, The the last match, no, that wasn't the last match. I was going to say it was was with Loser Lee Town with Chick Donovan, but no, I beat Chick. No, I don't think I ever worked with Maivia either. He was in the territory, but no, well, they're giving you credit for matches you never had. Yeah, that's possible. Very possible. Listen, I've been there. Are, there are stories out there uh, that that didn't happen the way they say they happened. Now, I, they they have a ring of truth to it, but but they didn't happen exactly the way they were they were conveyed or portrayed. And one of those is in. Uh, well, we'll leave that alone. What one of those is in Missy Hyde's book. Oh and, and it's not not the okay. way it happened. Yeah. So See, that's why it's good that you have a show though, because we can get this out there like the Peter Maya right. match didn't happen, Dynamite My Kid didn't have it, Missy Hyatt, possibly right. being a liar or trying to no, 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 no. story in her book. <laughs> no, no, trying no, to build no, up saying... a story in her book. You know? <laughs> Hold on. I'm not saying Missy is a liar. What I'm saying is it's not the way it happened. It's not the way it went down. That's what I'm saying. And bad and memory. she's got a bad memory. No, she's got a great memory. It's just not the way it happened. That's what I'm saying. She her memory is 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 great. It's just that it's uh it's colored with with her crayons and that's okay. 
uh, she's got her colors, and and that's 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 fine. But it's not the way it happened, or it's not the way I recollect it. But I don't want to spend too much time on that. What was the last match in, in this territory before you head back to Houston? I don't recall, but I know it wasn't my Via because I would have remembered working with Via. Do you I recall, really don't. I, I really don't remember. Do you recall working with Bad News Brown in L.A.? Yes. Wait a minute. No, I worked. I I I was with Bad News in Japan, but I I, I don't believe I worked with him in L.A. And I, I don't believe I worked with worked against him in Japan. I think we might have been a tag team in Japan. It says uh, you teamed in a in a six man. You Mario Valenzuela against uh, John Davidson, Ken Wayne, and the Assassin. So could that be incorrect as well? That we teamed together in L.A. against those guys? No, yep. I mean, that that could have happened. But, you know, I... I... I, I don't... Yeah, that could have happened, the, the six-man. But the other one, I really don't. And, I, you know, we're talking close to 40 years. And, hmm. yes. yep. <laughs> you know, so I, I have had... An, uh, I, I, I've... I wasn't expecting to be here, you know, 30 years ago. I was, I was catching it in at 30. I wasn't, I really wasn't looking forward to a long life, but I tricked myself. So, and I rid myself a lot of times. So I, I I know that uh, if, if it would have been against bad news, I probably would have remembered it. My via, I certainly would have remembered it. Then my kid definitely would have remembered it. So, uh no, I, I don't I don't think I worked with bad news in the Olympic. But Alex Baker definitely did have. Oh, definitely because I know about yes because because <laughs> he would he would play around in the ring and uh, he he was fun to work with. That's good that we can bring this to light and kind of say hey you know some of the shit on the internet is definitely not true it's definitely BS. a lot of a lot of the shit on the internet is definitely not true they there there's you know the Wikipedia crap is not true I I just I went through this last year just just let me get off on a side street here the Wikipedia bullshit um you know <laughs> my brother is Ken he's not my son I have <laughs> my brother Ken who who's the guy who actually introduced me to Paul Bosch uh, got me a meeting with Paul Bosch, didn't introduce me, but got me a meeting with Paul Bosch, drove me down to his office and just said, hey, man, the, the, he's 12 years old. He wants to, wants to take pictures. Just give him a chance. And Paul listened to him and gave me a chance. So without Ken, I, I don't know that I would have had that connection. I, I don't know that. He, 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 he's the one who got my foot in the door. Um, they don't mention him on Wikipedia anymore. I don't know why. And I just know the reason I know this is because someone asked, started asking me about Wikipedia questions. So I went to my Wikipedia page and I saw this picture, man, from the Charlotte uh, camp. And I thought, who in the hell put this picture up? So I had our IT guy last year change a picture. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't, honest to goodness, I I don't care, and it, once once you really delve into my my uh, perverse sense of humor, you'll understand that. And I, but 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 what I what I I do find amusing is that facts on there aren't facts. So <laughs> so whether it's Wikipedia or just some random stuff on the internet about uh, where you've been or what you've done, it's not man. Yeah. 
I don't know where you get it. I don't know where they get it from. I really don't. Yeah, it's funny if you go on Wikipedia page, we could almost like do an episode saying, hey, let's look at Wikipedia and like so much stuff is wrong. Birthdays, uh, marriages, like there's so many things that are just wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't, and, you know, the, and, and anything, anybody can put anything on the Internet, and, and obviously they have. Oh, there's uh, there's no doubt about that. So, what are your kind of overall thoughts, though, of working this territory? I mean, you're there basically uh, January of 1980. You basically leave in the springtime, so to speak, or somewhere around there of '81. So, I mean, it's a nice little run. So, what did you think about your overall time there? Well, all I wanted to do my whole life was wrestle, and I got the opportunity. And uh, my first territory was supposed to be Portland. And it wound up being Los Angeles, California. I mean, Hollywood, L.A., Fred Blassie, uh, the Guerreros, it it was, it had a mystique to it, uh, just watching it from the magazines and, and hearing about it. Uh, just through through my limited experience up until then, getting there. The Olympic Auditorium was a great boxing and wrestling building. Uh, so was San Bernardino and Bakers, Bakersfield and Fresno and, and all the surrounding areas. And you had the beach and you had Gold's Gym. And I went to Gold's Gym a couple times, but I sure, I sure wasn't training like I should have. And I, I sure wasn't doing everything I should have done to, to, to better myself in the business. I was having, I was enjoying the business and I was enjoying what I was doing. It was a great experience. It was a great time. And, uh, I, I have nothing but positives, uh, about even, even with all the bad, the bad, the, the good outweighs the bad for me. And I, shit, would I do it again in a heartbeat? It's great. And a lot of good talent came through there. So, I mean, you've got a lot of good names that we kind of brought up. And even some guys in the twilight of the career, like some big names were definitely part well, of there. you know, guys guys back then, too, would, would be either would either stop in on their way to and coming back from Japan. I met Hogan there for the first time. Uh, and and that was interesting, you know. And he remembered that when I told him about it. <laughs> or he said he remembered it. I don't know if he did or not. But it was... It was, uh, yeah. You, you, uh, so I got to, I got to just, just, I got to see a cast of characters that I wouldn't have been able to anywhere else. And 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 I forever have wanted to. I I, I want to see those outliers, and I want to see the uh, the circus and and the carnivals, and 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 that's you know for for all the knocks that that takes about the old days and Carney and all that shit. Um, that's what drew me to it. And, and I, I don't want to have nine to five and I don't want to have normalcy and I don't want to have <laughs> something, something, I guess, um, in relation to, uh, you know, upstanding, straight, narrow, no, 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 no. Give me, give me the bright lights, colors, and uh, abnormal and and different. And my God, I want to, I want to know everything there is to know about any other culture or any other uh, ritual or or systematic way of doing things. And 
I want to know how they did it. I want to know what they do, and I want to know um, the steps they took to get there. So that I got to see all that. I mean, Dr. Jerry Graham is is a legend, and he's a legend not always for the right reasons, and I, and and it's for those not right reasons that 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 I was intrigued because. Uh, anybody can walk the straight line, or can they? If they're incapable, you know, they uh, there's a saying that there's just some souls who 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 are incapable of of walking that straight line. Well, that's okay because that means they're imperfect and they've got something special. Uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, it's special and it's different. And I embrace it. I embrace the special. I embrace the different, and I certainly embrace the unique. Uh, it intrigues me that, that someone can do it. It intrigues me. That Andy Kaufman, that 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 type of uh, individual, intrigues me that they will go to the lengths they go to, or in Andy's case, that he went to, uh, to accomplish whatever it is they wanted to accomplish, whether all it was was to prove a point in their mind. They went to this extent, and it meant that much to them that they went to that effort. I mean, that 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 not only intrigues me, it impresses me. And that's what this business is. And that's what wrestling or any kind of business like this, the entertainment business, it, it should be about special people, not just average people, not just common people. It's show people. It's show business. And people pay to see show people and show business. And these days, anybody can be in show business on YouTube or Twitter or Facebook, and anybody can be famous and look at me, look at me, look at me. And back then, you had to do something special to say, look at me, because it wasn't YouTube and Facebook and all this stuff to make you famous. These guys had to go out and find that venue and that opportunity and that outlet and, and grab the spotlight. And, and, in L.A., the spotlights were everywhere, so you had to be even more special to, to turn it on you. And Freddie Blassie turned it on him. And uh, John Tolis and Furpo and Ox Baker and all those guys um, knew how to turn the spotlight on them. And it was the bright lights. It was Hollywood. It was it was great. And I, I I'm happy I got to experience it. Now that Hogan story is that for public consumption? Are we allowed to no. uh, talk about that? <laughs> no, uh, no, no, not necessarily. But but it was it was that time in that era. And um, I tell you what, Rick McGraw. I'll, I'll tell you this story in closing. Rick McGraw. Do you remember Rick McGraw? Why does that sound familiar? But I keep thinking of the of a base baseball player. Rick, uh, okay. But I, but I'm not even sure if it, it, okay. or is it or is it Tug McGraw? Who's Tug, a baseball player? Tug McGraw. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But this this is quick draw. Rick McGraw. Rick and and Steve Travis were a uh, a tag team on the on the East Coast called the East Co- East West Connection or something like that. And Rick uh, had come by, had stopped in L.A. on his way back from Japan, I think it was. And that night, I was taking Rick back to I think the airport he was going to fly about he was getting a red eye somewhere prior to that um, uh, oh gosh let me see how I say Rick and I 
hooked up with a friend of mine, and she, uh, it was it was Rick, and this friend of mine and me, uh, and we were sitting in the car talking uh, before we had to leave. And Rick said to me, as this girl's there too, and she he says, you know, we're going to meet up years down the road, and we're going to remember this night. Now, I don't know why this this conversation and this experience remains in my memory and others don't, because Rick died of a drug overdose like two years later. But those those kind of people um, had this electricity and this energy about them. And Rick was a, a short guy, but he was well built. He and Travis had had a run. I think it's East West. God, I couldn't. I know it was Ventura and 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 Murdoch was something too. But but anyway, um, I, I, I met people there that uh, like Chavo Guerrero, who I'd run into later on in life, and we had a relationship that changed many times over the years and I ran ran into people there who I never met again um so it was a wild time and it was the cowboy days and it was the wild west days for sure so uh things are better now in some aspects but my god uh the 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 authenticity, I think, was was a lot more prevalent. Now, you did say is a great kind of a closing, and I think that is a great kind of closing the book on, and to be a Hollywood. But let's open the book on your book, a complete one year training curriculum and guide for beginners and seasoned pros, a pro wrestling curriculum, advice, suggestions, and stories to help the aspiring pro get to the next level. Please tell us a little bit more about how these people can get your awesome book. Well, it is available on Amazon.com, but it's also available if you want to, uh, would like to send $25 to my PayPal, which is Dr. Tom Pritchard at AOL.com, and I will personally autograph it and send it to you. Uh, $25 covers postage and handling. We've got our books in uh, Friday night, I sent the books uh, that were ordered, the remaining orders, out yesterday. And I have to send more. Uh, well, tomorrow being Memorial Day, we, we don't have an opportunity to go to the post office as we record this. Uh, but Tuesday, I'm sending out the next uh, uh, set of books that were ordered. But I have plenty of books if you would like a personally autographed book. Uh, my PayPal is Dr. Tom Pritchard at AOL.com. Also, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. I know they got a big sale going on, so there's no excuse not to get either a JPWA shirt or a Dr. Tom shirt. So check them out over at ProWrestlingTees.com. Also, Patreon. You can become a patron and support a JPWA. You can also check out the website, JPWrestlingAcademy.com. For all JPWA, I'm on Twitter at two-man power trip. Dr. Tom is at Dr. Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom, anything else that we need to know from the world of JPWA? 
June 1st, we are opening. We are still accepting applications, but time is getting close. If you want to apply, please go to jpwrestlingacademy.com, and um, we will answer all emails and questions uh, within two days, uh, three days at the most. It usually takes us uh, two days to get to them and uh, get back to you. So jpwrestlingacademy.com. We're also on Facebook at uh, Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy. Check us out. Awesome stuff. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week, and we will see you next week on Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.